Today, I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 33, verses 1 through 10. Genesis 33, 1 through 10. And these are the very words of God to you and to me. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, Esau was coming and 400 men were coming with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front and then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. And he himself went on before them bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the, the women and the children, he said, who are these with you? And the children whom God has, they are the children whom God has graciously given to your servant, Jacob said. Then the servants draw near and they and their children bowed down before Esau. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And lastly, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. And Esau said, what do you mean with all of this company that I met, the the gifts that he had sent before. And Jacob answered, in order to find favor in your sight, my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my presence from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God and you have accepted me have you ever seen the face of God well I have and I'll tell you what he looks like in a little bit okay back in Genesis 32 Jacob launched what we might call operation Esau, because Esau, his brother, and that's the brother that he cheated out of his birthright and cheated out of his father's blessing. That's the same brother who vowed, I will kill my brother Jacob if it's the last thing that I do. And, and Jacob had to flee for his life and went and lived uh, with relatives in, in a faraway place. And that's where he met his wife and, and they got married. And now they have all these children, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. The only one not born yet at this point is Benjamin, the last. But he's told Esau and his 400 armed men are coming to you. Payday. Doomsday. That's what's going on here. Jacob has like only his band of shepherds and his family and his children and all the sheep and the flocks. As we say in football terminology, this was not a good matchup for Jacob at all. 
And so Jacob launches what we might call Operation Charm Esau. And we go back to Genesis 32. If you want to look with me in their Bibles under the pews. Genesis 32, 3. Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother. And he instructed them, say to my Lord. Notice these languages. My Lord Esau, your servant, Jacob says, I've lived with Laban, our relative, until now. I have all these oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord Esau in order that I might find favor in your sight and you won't kill me. Basically saying, take it all. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you with 400 armed soldiers. Now... Verse 7, then Jacob was greatly afraid. Oh yeah, greatly distressed. And so he divided the people who were with him and divided the flocks and the herds and camels into two groups because he thought if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the other one that he has not found might get away with their lives and escape Esau's wrath. He's worried that Esau's not just going to kill him, he's going to kill everybody. But I want to focus on this verse in Operation Esau. It's Genesis 32, a little bit further down to verse 20. May I appease him, meaning Esau, may I appease Esau with the presence that I am sending ahead of me and afterwards... I shall see his face, and perhaps he will accept me. Now, I want to call time out here just for a moment and talk about, just for a moment, the the prevalence of the word face in Genesis 32 and Genesis 33. And I shall see his face, and he might accept me. That literally in Hebrew means he might lift my face. So there's a lot of talk about faces in Genesis 32 and 33. So, Operation Esau, phase one, send gifts and lots of them, hoping to soften Esau's heart. Operation Esau, phase two, divide everybody so somebody might get out of here alive. But then, something totally unexpected happens. Jacob meets someone far more threatening than Esau. He he meets face to face God who is representing himself as an angel and, and this is who Jacob has to face first of all. Now isn't that interesting how we even call confrontations having to face, having to look at their face There's just something intense about face-to-face. In fact, in Jeremiah 1, when God tells Jeremiah in his call, don't be afraid of them, it literally means don't fear their faces. And you know about that. You know you're so afraid of somebody's face being angry or disappointed or what. You know what I'm saying? You just kind of look it in their eyes and you kind of fear their face. But God, in the form of this angel, wrestles. With Jacob 
all night long. And Jacob cannot defeat God. And, and somewhere in the night, God takes the tip of his finger, in, uh, representing as this angel. And he touches Jacob's hip and pop. His hip is just wrenched out of socket. So now he's kind of crippled. And the rest of the night, Jacob just hangs on for dear life, basically. But Jacob has a a transformation in the midst of this wrestling with God face-to-face, so to speak. um, In that, Jacob says, I cannot survive unless you bless me. In fact, I can't do life anymore without you and without your blessing. And when the sun rose... The, the, uh, the angel representing God blessed Jacob and gave him a new name, Israel. And the name Israel, you know, his name meant deceiver or cheater. He cheated at his brother out of his birthright and his blessing. But the new name means I wrestled with God and God was victorious. Or God wins in my life. That's what Israel means. God wins. So we're in the middle of Operation Esau, right? And Jacob had sent everybody across the Jabbok River and he was all alone when when God came and and grabbed him in the middle of the night and and wrestled with him. And so Jacob caught up with his people the next day, but y'all, there was something different about him. Immediately, you could tell there was something different. For one, he didn't walk the same. He had a limp. Presumably he, he walked with a limp because God had touched his, his uh, hip. He walked with the limp showing that he had been with God and that, that, that God had spared his life. But you know, even greater was the change that Jacob had on the inside. Having acceptance with God and the blessing of God, he now knows this important fact. As he faces Esau, God, the God of the universe, Almighty, is with me. Y'all, that matters. God is with me. And Operation Esau changes dramatically at this minute. He kind of lined up everybody to go before him, you know, and, you know, hopefully he won't kill my my wives and my children and hopefully you know we're going to send presents we're going to send everybody and then I'll finally show up not after he meets God face to face in fact he called that place Peniel which means face of God there's just face everywhere here and uh, he says I called it Peniel where he met the angel because I, I met God face to face and I survived and God spared my life so the uh, Operation Esau is different now he's, he's lining them up But he's more lining them up the way you would, if you were meeting a great man or a king, the way you would line up your family uh, just in those days. It's very customary. It's no longer this kind of conniving thing to, to try to stay alive because now we learn in Genesis 33 that Jacob lines them all up just like he's supposed to now. And Jacob goes out front. The thing they notice is he's brave all of a sudden. He's willing to face Esau with with bravery. Having faced God, he can now face Esau. And there is Esau with his 400 men, maybe even on horseback. 
and he faces his brother and he's no longer relying on himself. He is completely relying on God who is with him. But the second change isn't just that he's brave. The second change is that he's humble. Humility was never one of his long suits. He was never really that good at humility. Now he is extremely humble. The text reads that when he saw Esau and he and and uh, Esau recognized that it was Jacob from a distance, Jacob bowed down in the dirt seven times, one after another, seven times. And um, and and what he what is he saying by by bowing down, not just once, but seven times, I'm lower than you. And you know, seven is the biblical number of completion. This is to say he is completely humble. You know, humility is intentionally seeing ourselves not higher than people and lowering ourselves in order to raise someone else up. That's what humility is, and that's what Jacob is doing. That's not very Jacob-like, but Jacob is different. And then there's repentance. Jacob is repenting by what he's doing. He's showing the, the, the fruit of a changed heart here. You know, he stole Esau's birthright. Birthright, if you're the, the person, you know, the oldest it's supposed to be, and Esau was the oldest, and Jacob stole it. Um, you're supposed to get double the inheritance. Esau didn't get double the inheritance. And then he stole the blessing. And there's this whole thing about how the oldest child has authority over the, all the other siblings. And he's kind of the patriarch going forward. And he's now bowing down. And he's saying basically with all this stuff, he says, you know what? I want to make this right. And I want you to treat all that I have like it was yours all along instead of mine and you can have it and I'm sorry and he bows down and um, Jacob calls Esau to his face you are my master I am your servant verse 4 of Genesis 33 Esau ran to meet him this is the surprise of surprises. I mean, can you imagine that moment when he's not sure what Esau's going to do? Esau ran to meet him, and Esau embraced him and fell on his neck, you know, like this, this together, fell on his neck and kissed him and kissed him, and they wept together. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw all the women and children, he said, Who are these? With you, And Jacob said, these are the children that God has graciously given to your servant. And then the servants drew near and, and their children, they bowed down. Leah and her children came and they bowed down. And, and then finally, uh, Rachel and Joseph came and, and they bowed down as well. He says, what do you mean by all these people you've sent and all this stuff you've sent ahead of yourself? He says... You know, I just want to find favor in your sight. I, I just want to make it right. You, you can have it all. And Esau says, I have enough, my brother. I mean, this is shocking. I have plenty. Keep it. 
And, um, and Jacob says, no, please, if I found favor in your sight, then, then show me that by accepting my presence. And Esau says, okay, and he, he accepts several of the presents that, that Jacob gives him. It's so beautiful. Esau, uh, Jacob calls Esau master. Do you know what Esau calls Jacob? Brother. Brother. He lifts up, he, he accepts him, he lifts up his face, he, he hugs him. You are my brother, don't do this master stuff. I really appreciate it, but... But, but you're my brother. And what Jacob finds is forgiveness and acceptance and security of love in that relationship. I want you to think about what we need in our lives with people and with God. We need forgiveness. We need acceptance. And we need the security of love that comes from that. Genesis 32, 20. May I appease him with the presence that go ahead of me, and afterwards I shall see his face. And Jacob said, perhaps he will accept me. And Esau does. It's an amazing moment in Scripture, actually. And then the most dramatic line in the whole text. The one that everybody's talking about all these thousands of years later. It's verse 10. And Jacob looks up at him because he's down. For I have seen your face, Esau, brother. And it was like the face of God to me. Because you accepted me. Wow. Now, can I just call another time out here? And ask you if there's any other story in the Bible that's kind of reminding you of this story. All right, so let me just read the one sentence. I'll give you the clue. And here's the sentence, and I think some of y'all will get it, and then I'll reveal the answer. Esau saw him from afar off, and he ran to him, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Hint, Luke 15. This is an exact, these are exact words almost, of the story of the prodigal son. Where the son has sinned against his father, the son needs forgiveness, acceptance, and the securing of that relationship through securing love of the father. I'll read it to you, just that one verse, Luke 15, 20. For while his son was still a long way off, his father saw him. And was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him and kissed him. Now, who does the father represent in the story of the prodigal son? Tell me. That's not loud enough. God! You see... That's the meaning of this. I saw your face and it was like the face of God. Y'all, this is what God does. He forgives. And He brings, it gives acceptance. And He secures us with His love. And that is why for one shining moment, Jacob looked at the face of Esau and said, I looked at you. And just for one moment, I think I might have glimpsed, it was like the face of God 
Because you accepted me. You forgave me. You secured me. With the love that I did not deserve. You know, repentance is beautiful. We repent to someone, God, but, but especially if we'll just think about this more horizontally when we repent to someone. But you know what's more beautiful than repentance? Forgiveness. When someone repents in the dirt seven times, so to speak, and you forgive them. Repentance is beautiful. Forgiveness is even more beautiful. And Esau forgives and he accepts Jacob. And that is precisely what God has done through Christ. I want you to look at this table. I want you to think that because of your sins, God took the hit for you. God took the loss. Like like Esau, in a sense, just took the loss. God absorbed the loss, the punishment for you on the cross. And then, because of that, when we come to Him, we get nothing but the forgiveness that He has brokered through His death on our behalf on the cross. We get nothing but the acceptance and the securing love of being adopted into His family forever. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Nothing shall be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, what is the face of God like? Answer, it's like the face of Jesus Christ. That's what it's like. I I remember in seminary I've quoted uh, one of my favorite professors, Dr. Douglas Kelly, you can tell I was very impacted by Dr. Kelly because I, I wrote all this down and, and I'm not even quoting out of like looking at old notes right now. I'm just quoting right out of memory. And I'll never forget, you know, he would teach systematic theology, but he kind of go off on these little rabbit trails. He'd start preaching, really. That was when it really got good. And one day he said, you know, he knew like six languages and had all these degrees, but he talked like this from South Carolina. And he said, um, you know... He said, there are people that are worried about seeing God when they get to heaven. They're worried about seeing God the Father. And they're wondering whether he's going to be scary or strange or what in the world is he going to look like. I'll never forget this. He said, let me ask you a question. You comfortable with Jesus Christ? We're like, yeah. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father face of God is the face of forgiveness, of acceptance, of love. I've, I've always loved 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Boom, God brings light. God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has also shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. There it is. Remember I told you I'd seen the face of God? Well, I haven't seen Jesus of Nazareth's face, okay? So I hate to disappoint you. Nor have I seen the face of the Father. But I have so briefly 
at many different moments of my life, glimpsed something like the face of God. I've seen it. Just like Jacob did in the face of other people who forgiven me and accepted me and secured me with their love. You know, I've had to be forgiven by lots of people over many, many years, just being a sinner, working out life with folks, and we're all just, you realize we're all going to, we're all going to kind of bump up together and we're all going to have to repent, right? We're all going to have to, and so sad in the body of Christ when we don't get to see the face of God because we just won't forgive. So sad rather than just having that, that resonance, having, having that, that kind of moment where God is there that we just kind of turn inward and we just kind of hold to our own little petty scores that we keep our own little petty grievances boy if we just held them up to the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ it would be ridiculous and we if we know Jesus if we were to do that we would want to let go of those things we would we would want to forgive and uh you know i i've been forgiven by people and not long ago i think of one incident and their face was like the face of god to me and you know what when you're forgiven is that not a holy moment in your life is that not an important moment in your life if you care about the relationship I think it's what we really yearn for, um, catching a glimpse of God through forgiveness, acceptance, and security of relationship. You know, it's a beautiful thing when the children of grace give grace. It's a beautiful thing when people who are forgiven everything forgive. It's a beautiful thing that when those are, who are accepted in the beloved accepted forever, accept other people. It is to glimpse God's face. Let me ask you something. Don't you need forgiveness? Don't you need acceptance? Don't you need security? Don't you want to show the face of God and His grace? Don't you want to let go of the fight? Look, you might have 400 men and you might have devised ways that you can destroy that person that hurt you and they can't stand up against your rebuttal and your anger. You see what I'm saying? Don't you want to show the face of God and His grace to someone that needs your forgiveness? I'm going to tell you, here's the deal. You look at that table and the answer is we must. That table says we must forgive because we are forgiven. So this morning we come to this table that is set by Jesus himself for us. And the table reminds us again that we are forgiven, we are accepted, we are secure. And I ask you this morning not just to imagine your forgiveness, not just imagine your acceptance or the secure love of God, I ask you to do what Jesus wants you to do this morning. 
I ask you to touch it. No one could ever touch the face of God, touch the face of God until Jesus was born in Bethlehem and you could touch the face of God. Because he was here. He was skin for you. I don't want you to just imagine your forgiveness. I want you to touch and remember that he actually came to be you. He actually took your sins. He actually was nailed to a cross and you are actually forgiven when you come to him. This table will show you again this morning if you'd like to see it. The glory of the knowledge of God in the face of Christ. Let's pray as we move to the table. Lord, you know us so well. Would you forgive us of our unforgiveness? Would you forgive us of all our Jacob-like scheming and all of our Jacob-like glee and how we live with tangled tit-and-tat stuff? with people that is so beneath you lifted up high on a cross and your forgiveness and acceptance and your securing love. Would you meet us in this table today? But God, just like Jacob, would you transform us to want to forgive? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.